Father, we thank you so much for your word. We th- I thank you, Jesus, for this incredible group of people, Lord God, that you, are, that you have gathered around you, Lord Jesus. So it doesn't mean we switch off our minds. The Bible clearly says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we have to let the word of God come in. It, it comes in the faculty of our mind. It, it changes. There's a, there's a guy in the States. He has a, a conference or a, a kind of a retreat called the 18-inch journey. And so often we can know Christianity up here but not do it here. People can recite scripture to me. Some of you who have grown up in maybe more traditional churches can know who God is, but you deny his power. You don't, the, 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 the knowledge hasn't dropped from your head to your heart. And that's what I'm really hoping happens in the, next, in the next couple of weeks, is that the knowledge of God is not a heady thing, but it actually changes our hearts. That the word of God comes and molds us. There's a guy called Matt Chandler, and he says this, so the first question we're looking about, who, who is God? Now this, just as a disclaimer, I cannot do it in a half an hour. I cannot do this in two hours. This is what we'll be still figuring out for it, an eternity. God has revealed something of his character through interactions with man, through the Bible, through our lives. But when we get to heaven one day and we're face to face with God, we're going to fall on our knees continually because we're going to realize who God is. The, the great I am the one who always has been, always will be. No one made God. If you think as a kid, I mean, one of my first questions about God is like, did God have a mom? These are just, and then in my little nine-year-old philosophical mind, I was trying to figure out God. And now that I'm 31 years old, I said, we cannot figure out who God is. Matt Chandler says this, trying to figure out God is like trying to catch a fish, fish, a fish. In the, I've got a block now, so if something comes, okay. It's, trying to figure out God is like trying to catch a fish in the Pacific Ocean with an inch of dental floss. That much dental floss, trying to catch a fish. It's not going to happen. We cannot figure out God. Uh, Paul writes, and he says, a God lives in an unapproachable light. Who's, who has stared at the sun? I have. It has affected my vision. Um, but that is, that is a light that we can sum up. God's, God's light and His glory is so much that Moses, he, he had to hide Moses. Moses had to hide so the, so the back of God, if there's, if there's such a thing, the Bible says is, can pass through past Moses. Because if Moses caught a glimpse, he would have died. People have seen the glory, the majesty of God have died. Now we know that we, we, we can approach God now with unveiled faces, through Jesus Christ. The only reason we can even approach Him is because Jesus is standing, interceding for us, almost standing in, in, in our place. When God sees us, He sees Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus' good works. If you have given your life to Jesus, it's not about me trying to impress God. Jesus impressed God enough. He looks through Jesus to us. And he sees his son in our lives. A.W. Tozer said a famous quote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, which I recommend reading. It's, there's some, he says, he, it does an introduction to the book, Knowledge of the Holy, and he says, this is quite an easy book. Let me tell you, it's not. I read like the anglicized, the, the easy version of his book, and it was, it was, but it's a really, really good book to dig into. And he says this, What comes into our minds... When we think about God, is the most important thing about us. You're sitting alone, it can do it right now. You can say, what comes into my mind? And I'm hoping that over this, 
next uh, couple of weeks that we start looking at the attributes and the character of God, how God has revealed himself through scripture, through his son Jesus Christ, which is an incredible picture that the Old Testament never lived under, that something of our minds would be reshaped to who God is. That you have this God who is so full of glory, so full of majesty, so just, so hates sin, but then you have this God who absolutely loves the sinner, who's full of love, who draws us in. And I want us to understand that God is not a one-sided thing that we, uh, being that we can look at. He is multifaceted. And I think to understand God properly, we have to hold all of them in tension. And I think when people go into error, they start focusing on one characteristic of who God is. And I think if we want to be a people that believe in the Bible, that get a whole theology of the Bible, we have to understand God in all of his fullness. We have to, Paul writes and says that he has to, that he preaches the whole counsel of God. That we do not let, we cannot preach just once, our God is just this, God is just this. We're going to have a lopsided view of who God is. It's going to reflect into our lives. And I'm hoping everything hinges off that thought that I've just said. Now, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Romans 1.19, so it says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and His divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so, that, 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 so they are without excuse. We are without excuse because we look around the world, we can clearly see that this is not a random chance of events. This is, this is intelligent design. That our bodies are intelligently made. That the planets, uh, as they revolve around the sun, there's an intelligence of that if like a few millimeters were off or there's some organ wrong in our body, everything shuts down. This isn't a chance of random thought. This is a God who created everything perfectly. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. So they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I think it does start in, in, in your mind. Romans 12, it says we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. And if, and if we've got a, a view of God that is actually just sometimes a mirror and actually a reflection of ourself, which is often what happens, it's either an idol, we put something in the place of God, or we, we create God in our own image. God is otherly. He is transcendent. He is nothing like us. It's an absolute by the grace and miracle of God that we can even approach Him. Because he, he, he could have created us and taken His hand. He is God. He could have done absolutely anything. But now we get to understand what we look and we filter everything through Jesus Christ, which I believe you need to filter the Old Testament through Jesus. We understand who He is and what His true nature is like. And I think what happened, and this is kind of hopefully not going out of Scripture, but there's, there's a moment where God was so misrepre- misrepresented by his people Israel, that he had to send his own son, which is the ultimate plan, to represent what God is like correctly. And can I tell you that so many churches, and I, I say, God, please help us, never, let us never be that, but so many churches reflect wrongly who Jesus is and who the king of the universe is. Most people, when you ask them about church, they're like, oh, so when I come, I have to stop doing this. It's like the first thing they say. They don't focus on the goodness and the majesty of Jesus, who, that is so undeserved. We do not deserve this grace of God. Because He lives in an approachable light, yet He came and He dwelt amongst us. He put on a human suit. He put on the, the suit of flesh. He felt pain. 
He felt, he felt uh, affliction for us. He died in our place. That is a God who loves us. There's, um, I think Reynard Bonker says, he goes into, who's heard of Reynard Bonker? Amazing evangelist. God's just using powerfully. You've seen millions, literally millions of people saved. And he says, he goes into Africa and he says, the, the people spread out their, 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 themselves. They cut themselves before their gods. And they spread out a table for their gods. And he says, Jesus spreads out a table for us and we come and dine with him. We are the pauper. He is the king. Yet he invites us in through Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible thing. Tozer says this, With our loss of the sense of majesty has come further loss of our religious awe and his consciousness of his divine presence. We lose the sense of majesty. Psalm 50 verse 21, it says, God almost rebuking the people of Israel, it says, you thought I was altogether like you. You thought when you approached me that I was like you, that, you th- that, that God thinks the same as you and I. We can never approach God like that. He is absolutely perfect. He has never thought a wrong thought. He has never done anything wrong. He is absolutely, he lives, uh, and I think we're going to spend our lifetime searching out who he is. And I'm trusting that this morning my prayer is that, God, you make me hungry for you. That there is a, a, a theological statement that says that there is the knowability of God. We can know our creator. God has revealed himself through this word. You have to get into the Word of God. It is who God is. God is the Word of God. Job 11.7 says this, Can you search out the deep things of God? Can you find the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heaven. What can you do? They are deeper than shell. What can you know? The measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. That was Job, one of the first books, one of the oldest books written in the New Testament. I'm sorry, Old Testament. And even this guy's sitting before God and he's like, he's, he's going through a terrible time. He says, who can actually, who can figure out God? He is utterly sovereign. And I really want, and as I've been studying this this week and reading different books and articles and my, 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 my thinking has been shifted. And I've had to even now repent and say, God, I think I've thought of you in a certain way that has been utterly wrong. And we, even now, as, I'm, as we start going through scripture, and as we start digging deep into this, you can repent right in that moment. Say, I'm sorry, Father. God is, he says, you thought I was altogether like you. God is not. He is good. He is very, very good to us. I love how God doesn't need to prove himself. He just is. And I, it's so funny when there's a whole group of, they call them the new atheists, like Richard Dawkins and Hitchens or whatever the guys' names are. And they, they're basically coming out and they're wagging their finger at God. And they're saying, you don't exist because of this. How can a loving God allow this? And all of this, this stuff, and God's like, you know, I actually don't need to defend myself. Because we're going to see at the end of days. And I think that is, the, that is the unique beauty about being a community of believers, is that we're holding on. Sometimes faith is sat on earth, and we've seen God do incredible stuff. But sometimes faith is just holding on and holding on, and we're going to get to the end of our lives and we get rewarded for faith. Hebrews 12 says that some of them never saw the promises, but they were rewarded for their faith. And I think sometimes it is going to be like, I, I honestly believe that we, we can see God breaking. And, we, and we've seen it in our lives. God has done impossible, impossible things and will continue to do that. But we're a community that is a community of faith. And I, uh, Toza also says this. He says, both, both atheists 
and Christians are, both have faith. Either you believe in the natural cause of things, or you believe in a creator God who created everything and is a perfect design and plan, finding its culmination in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world who came and uh, lived amongst us so he can rescue us from this place and from our own sin. So I've got just two points today. Before I get there, Psalm 46.10. Who knows that scripture? It says, be still and know that I am God. Remember that song? Be still and know that I am God. Okay, I've been in church a long time, you know. So that was like late 80s. Um, you know it, Ramsey. You're singing it with me. Yeah. Ramsey just got into the zone there. It was like it was in the early 90s when flags were cool and you're like, be still and know. Anyway. Um, <laughs> It's amazing that we look at that scripture and some, sometimes churches have it plastered above. It's like, we you know, this is a place of reverence. Be still, know that I'm God. But actually, if you look at the original translation, it says, enough. Enough of this. I am God. And I think I want that to happen in my life. That happened last week. I spoke about Isaiah. There was a moment where he got caught up into heaven and he saw the Lord seated high, lifted up. And God's just going, Enough. I'm God. What are you walking through? What, what are you doubting? What, what, what are the things that you trust in God for? He says, I'm enough. 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 I am God. I'm in charge. So, number one, God is all powerful. Now, I want you to learn a, a, a theological word which will help you, hopefully. It's omnipotence. A lot of you would have heard that before. Omnipotence. I may be saying it wrong. But uh, I remember learning this early days of being a believer. But it's, it's basically this, that God is the most powerful being on the whole planet. A, a, a definition of this, I had it just somewhere. God having unlimited universal power and authority. Can we settle in learning about who God is, that God is in charge? You may be facing a massive mountain in your life, having to deal with stuff from your past. Maybe you're going through a a really strong, heavy financial time. Maybe someone died in your family. God is in charge. He always will be. He's utterly sovereign. His plan is going to work out in your life. Says God works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called by Him. God is working every single thing in your life according to His will, His purpose, and because He loves you. D.L. Moody says this, If God is your partner, make big plans. Okay, let's just take that onto a human level. Imagine there's a guy that comes and approaches you. He's a multi-billionaire. And he says, do what you want. Just dream big. Go massive. I know like Gary's already thinking of a few bike shops. Uh, Ron wants to start his own bank. Uh, I don't know what you want to do, Greg. Just make lots of money. Greg will just take the money. Uh, Ramsey will buy the best guitars that he can possibly lay his hands on. And the thing is, there would be a confidence. If someone with a ton of money came and said, listen, Dan, here is five... Actually, I'm, let's not be greedy. Here's 20 million. Okay. It's not that greedy. Uh, we can spend that quietly. He says, go build the, the most ultimate local church in the city. Here's, here's 20 million. I would honestly, I would walk out with confidence. I would say, okay, cool. Here, we can do a whole ton of things. And... We, 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 in, our, in the natural, we will so easily respond in faith when we see it. And Rom said it before we started. We have to believe that the, that the God of the universe is all-powerful. His plans are good. His plans are to see us 
prosper in our lives. It's to see us work out a, a bigness of who He is. The Bible says that, that fruit is a part of being a disciple. God wants to see fruit in our lives. And yet we diminish God to the small little box on a Friday morning. I might raise my hands. I'm being cool and I'm being religious. God, there's a song by Delirious that says, God is bigger than the air I breathe, the world we live. God will save the day. Actually, we need to sing that again. I love that. Delirious. God is bigger than anything we can imagine. He is all-powerful. He knows everything. We are in, this generation for me is, is a need to see the majesty of God and be enamored by God again. Bring back the mystery. Say, God is so big. He's so in charge. And I think there's a confidence that I'm, I'm trusting for every single person sitting here that we walk out this morning with, that God is good. God is big. God is in charge. He is all-powerful. It's amazing how when Jesus is on earth, he, he, the, the disciples ask him, how can we pray? And if you look at how he prays, it actually reveals the character of God. First of all, it starts with our Father in heaven. That would have shattered the mindsets of the day. The, the Jewish religion was always about kind of approaching God, doing a whole bunch of things in obedience to Him. If, the, if God didn't come and you didn't hold the cart right, you'd be, the, the lightning would strike you dead. Like, that was the understanding of the old covenant. Jesus comes along and says, Our Father in heaven. I grew up with a good dad who loved me. Some of you have had terrible dads, and I think don't let your earthly dad dictate what your heavenly father is like. He's an utterly good father. He only has the best in mind for you. And even if you're going through tough times, God is with you in those tough times. He is crying with you in those tough times, and he's going to take you through those tough times into a glorious, spacious place in him. He can help with anything. He can heal anything. He can step in and fix anything. He reigns supreme over every government, every president, every king. His power is unfathomable. We cannot ever know His power. So often, I'm talking to myself here. Something happened this week where uh, there's like some kind of inspection coming for this, for this place. And immediately my first default thinking is like, oh, Panic. What's going to happen? We better do this, better that. And I live in this, in this state, and I was like, and I felt God just drop in my heart and say, what are you worried about? What are you worried about? Do you not trust that my hand is big enough to step down into a little warehouse in the middle of the Dubai and protect you and keep you safe? And because you're walking out and working into my plans and purposes. And I think sometimes we need to have that little rebuke from the Father because we diminish God into our circumstances, and we filter God through all of our circumstances instead of lifting our heads. Bruce, I don't know, did you get those photos I sent through? I want to show you a few things. This is the, the, uh, the cell phone generation. Some of you may have seen these. The burden of staring at a smartphone. You guys, pretty self-explanatory, you can read that. This is where the world's going. So true. Playing games, Angry Birds. I think that's it, huh? I must say, I'm probably guilty of that one. I'll be in another room, and I'll say, hey, stop. Chat to her on WhatsApp. It's quite bad. Anyway, let's just have a little read here. Yeah. 
I think we're a generation that has our heads down. And when I say generation, I'm not saying like the, the techie generation. It's like it's every single person who owns a cell, who owns a, who owns a smartphone. If you don't, you're about 10 years too late. Okay, but um, we live down like this. We look at Facebook, we look at Instagram, we worship our phone. We 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 constantly on emails. I, I sit with some people, and they, there's not even a moment where they could put their phone aside. And, and I'm like. And I know that's the reality of the time we live in. Uh, Lombard went away with some of his cabin crew friends, and they did that whole thing of stacking the phones on the table and having a real conversation. Well done. We, I, and I think that's, okay, obviously, relationships are going to suffer, but I think also our relationship with the king suffers. Because, and I think it's a picture more than just like looking down at our phones. It's a picture of a generation that has their, their heads down in the ground, almost like an ostrich. And I feel God is wanting to say, lift your head, lift up, look at, look at me. Little point under that, and I'm going to end on this, and I'll get, carry on next week. God has the power to create something from nothing. Psalm 33 verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So God spoke, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his, uh, the mouth of all their hosts, he gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. Some version says a jar. He puts them deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be and it commanded and it stood firm. And I think we need to get past the debates of like, oh, is God there? Is God real? What about the suffering? We need, to, we need to realize that God is there. And we need to approach Him with absolute humility. There's a Hebrew word that is, goes similar to this. It's called Al Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. Jesus is Al Shaddai. Jesus is all you need. His presence, His word, His life in, in, inside of you, that should build who you are. And everything else is in addition to that. Um, I want to, just the whole thing of creating something from nothing. There's a, God doing impossible things. There's a lady in Abu Dhabi. Uh, we've got friends who lead a church there. So it can be verified as truth. This is not something that is made up. This lady had, uh, I think, I'm going to get a little bit of the story wrong, but it went basically something like this. She drew about 2,000 dirhams. Okay, so she had about, uh, she had 2,000 dirhams, four, 500 notes that she was going to give money to a, a country that was in, in need, a pastor that was in need. And she's standing there. She knows that she drew 2000 She even went and looked, bank account, all that kind of thing. She's standing there with the envelope, and she's like, I can't get the money out. She's pulling it like this, pulling it like this. And, and eventually she pulls it out. She's like, okay, 2000 but then there was more. I, th- I don't know what the final pr- thing was, but it ended up being like probably double or triple what it was. And for me, there's, there's moments where God does miraculous stuff. There's a lady called Heidi Baker, who's heard of her. Incredible servant of God, just doing incredible things around the world. But she says the amount of times that they've laid hands on their food, and there's only been enough for, say, like 30, 40 kids, and it's multiplied into the multiple hundreds. We need to trust that that is the same God for us. And, our, and sometimes in our Western thinking, we're so sufficient in what we have. We need to start trusting God. For the impossible. I heard an incredible story just about how impossible. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, I'm going to end on this, I promise. Uh, God has the power to deliver. Exodus 13.3. Can we turn there quickly? I don't have it written down. Exodus 
Then Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, for by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place, and uh, no leavened bread shall be eaten. God has the power to deliver us. Jesus delivered us from the dominion of darkness and placed us into his glorious light. It says that in Colossians 1.13. And I just, this is an incredible story. And God often delivers us out of places, even if it's our fault, how we got there. Actually, all the time. Okay, first of all, if we've done something wrong, God delivers us out of our own sin. There's a story of Abraham. He lies, uh, he lies to the king. And he says that Sarah is his sister because he was afraid of the king. He lies and it happens twice. He didn't learn his lesson. God redeemed him out of that. The story of the prodigal son, through his own choices, ran away from God, ran after the world, ran after the desires and the, and the things of the flesh. Eventually found himself in a pigsty, but ran back to the father and his father was wide open, arms wide open. That's, that's our God. He redeems us when we, and we never deserve it. Okay. So the story I wanted to tell you, this is just in closing. There's a, we were at um, this leadership conference that was run by Alpha. Uh, and then this guy gets up and he's sharing a, a testimony. He's an African man from Ghana. And he starts telling his story. He goes, about 20 years ago, he was involved in a coup against the government. He was arrested along with 20 other people, put in jail essentially forever. And then they were thinking of the, 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 the death penalty. And while he was in this jail... The Alpha course goes on. Someone eventually invites him. He gets saved, gives his life to Jesus. His life is radically changed. And he said he was sitting in his jail cell the one day, and he read a verse in the Bible that God delivers. And he, and he read that verse that God sets people free out of their jails. So he's like, God, I'm in a literal jail. I know that I've done wrong. I know I've sinned, and I'm willing to go to the death penalty for it. I understand all of that stuff. And he prayed. He says, God, if you can deliver me out of this jail, I will serve you forever. Two days later or something like that, he was delivered out of the jail. Literally, he was, he was kind of cleared of absolutely everything. He goes out. So he's like, okay, God, I'm actually going to serve you now with absolutely everything in my life. So he goes and takes the Alpha course back into prisons. There is uh, something about, I think there's 20 prisons in the, in the country that he's in. And it says 18, now 18 of the 20 prisons is running the Alpha course. They've, they've taken a, a kind of a, a, an overview of what's happened since they started the Alpha Course. People getting saved. So what happens often in when people go, uh, criminals, they go in for a small thing. They learn actually about crime in jail. They go out of jail and then they become way worse and they get put, put back in jail. The, the, the amount of second time offenders has literally halved. If, I can't remember all the stats, but it was saying about that... That the people going back uh, who've gone in first time and coming back again, because they're getting radically saved, touched by Jesus, and going reaching other prisons, crime is going down in that country. And I think that, for me, is a picture of God doing the, uh, the impossible. God has the power to, to redeem and take us out of our prisons and into His glorious life. Can we stand together? We're going to carry on next week.